Presented here is a free teaser for this month's edition of the Top Rope Nation Classics Patreon bonus podcast. Every single month, we release a deep dive on a classic wrestling event as voted on by our supporters on Patreon. It's a true historical deep dive. The only place to hear these shows in full? Join the Patreon page for just $5 per month. The link is right here in the podcast description. Patreon is the best way to support the show. We are confident you will enjoy the content we're offering, all the bonus content over on Patreon. So click that link in the episode description and read all about it over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Nation and enjoy this special free preview. What's up, everybody? It is the 31st edition of Top Rope Nation Classics here for our wonderful Patreon supporters. And tonight we are going back in time to June 1996 to relive one of the great WCW pay-per-views of all time, Great American Bash 1996 from Baltimore, Maryland. Now, I have mentioned on the flagship pod a few times that this was a show that... We were kind of pushing for last year, but it didn't win the poll. Kyle, I know you were very excited it won this year. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Doing great. Like you said, one of the best WCW pay-per-views of all time. Very important show all time. And, you know, I think I mentioned on the last flagship as well, I can't thank the patrons enough. Man, they've really been picking some good ones here for us in 2022. Absolutely. Every month, something new to watch. It's a... Really fun deep dive, you know, not just watching the event itself, but watching some of the footage from around the time period of the pay-per-view, you know, going back, reading the reviews of it and the Observer and everything people were saying at the time. Really enjoy prepping for these. Justin Joint, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Yeah, I'm exciting times uh, for me as a wrestling fan about this time, you know, coming off of WrestleMania 12 and that Iron Man match that everybody loves. And you know, heading heading Kyle. into <laughs> heading into you know the the NWO and uh, WCW, it, a lot of fun ahead for a young Justin Joint. Hundred percent. So, would you say, Justin, you're you were so you were just coming back into wrestling? You've talked about the pod before, yep. like the Iron Man match really hooked you back. Yep. Were you more watching Nitro or Raw around this time? Um, definitely Raw to start the year off, like around WrestleMania, but. I mean, around this time, basically, you know, the second Scott Hall showed up, it was all about Nitro. Mm-hmm. Kyle, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I was still watching Raw more at the beginning of the year, but by this point, uh, the tide's returning. But we're in the summer here, obviously, now. And the great thing about that was you didn't have to click back and forth. School was out. You could catch the Nitro replay. I did that quite a bit. This yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah, that's kind of how I did it, too. Yeah, summer was starting. I was, let's see, just got done with sixth grade going into seventh grade, I believe, in 96. And that, yeah, that was kind of, I've, I've talked about on the pod before. At that point in time, I was in Boy Scouts. And every Monday was when we had our meetings. And I had to, like, rush home, you know, to, to try to catch the beginning of Raw and some of Nitro. In the summertime, that wasn't an issue. You know, no scout meetings. So I was able to 
watch it all. And I would always watch Raw first. I was still more a WWF fan. And a lot of that was just me being such a mark for Bret Hart. <laughs> you know, he was gone at this point in time. But, you know, not really being plugged into the insider news at the time. I didn't know when he was coming back. Yeah. So I was always watching Raw first and foremost. I was getting more and more interested in WCW. And, I mean, by middle of summer, certainly after Bash at the Beach, I was pretty much 50-50 on him. But I was always more of a WWF guy, you know, even through 97. But I wasn't really paying much attention at all to WCW before right around this time period. Like, I would kind of flip back and forth. But I was like, I mean, it was mostly WWF for me. And this is where, yeah, as you mentioned, Justin, things are about to change. Wrestling's about to get super hot. And this is a great show to kind of mark that transition before we get the birth of the NWO the next month. So, And by the way, uh, listeners can check out in the archives, we recapped Bash the Beach 96 before, maybe two years ago or so. Yeah, a couple years ago we did that. So so we've hit the double shot here now. There you go. Assuming the power doesn't go out in the next two hours. (laughs) Yeah. We've done uh, Survivor Series 96 too. We've done a few shows from 96. So um, worth checking out. We did the first Nitro from 95 as well. So we've kind of settled in the same time period a few times. So when we go in, you know, as we do these on these classic shows, we always talk about where we were in our fandoms. We kind of just hit that there. Probably no more elaboration needed on that. Talked about it many, many times. Uh, like I said, I was in middle school. These two were in, and were in high school around that time, a few years apart. And in the world of sports, we had Super Bowl 30. I guess this would have been about four and a half months earlier. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys over the Pittsburgh Steelers that year, 27-17. to 17. Larry Brown earned that big contract from Al Davis, didn't he? There you go. Uh, the, he looked two passes, and the guy got paid like $10 million. <laughs> How about that? You know, we're going to have two prominent NFL players on this show. One of them, I mean, was, you know, Steve McMichael had been retired a couple of years at this point in time, but... Kevin Green, I mean, he was a huge star. I was looking up like his stats and stuff, and I didn't even remember him being at that moment in time as big as he was because him and Mongo weren't really that far apart in age, just a few years. Um, Like Kevin Green's first year was 85, and uh, he was playing, I believe, for the Rams that year. The Rams team that played the Bears in the playoffs on the Bears Super Bowl right way back in 85. He's still playing. And then in 96, which ends up being his first year playing for the Carolina Panthers, he wins Defensive Player of the Year after this match. You know, so like best defensive player in football, and he wrestles a match for WCW that year, which is pretty mind-blowing to think about. And uh, eventually he doesn't do a whole lot more wrestling. He had like five matches because eventually his contract basically said no more pro wrestling. Yeah, he did (laughs) something to upset the Panthers, but he wrestles twice in 97, because there's a slamboree match, which mm-hmm. rules, and I think he wrestles Mongo one-on-one, I feel, at some point. Yep, that's right. I think he wrestled he wrestled on Nitro at least once, right? Yeah. He wrestled the Giant one time, I believe. I gotta look this up again now. Yeah, that was in 98. I yeah. Because they had him um, buddying up with Goldberg, because weren't they like roommates or something? Mm-hmm. They both like were with the Rams okay, a little while. Right. Yeah. Apparently, Kevin Green was one of the guys that convinced Goldberg to try out pro wrestling. Uh, so, yeah, they wrestled Green and Mongo at 
Great American Bash in 97, the following year after the one we're about to talk about. Uh, Nitro in 98, as you mentioned, he wrestles the Giant. Um, but yeah, in uh, 97, let's see, in 97, he was playing for the 49ers, I believe. There you go, Justin Joint. And the Niners put in his contract, no more pro wrestling. All right, so as I said, Baltimore Arena, traditionally, this is a very solid market for WCW. Uh, They had 9,000 fans approximately there, June 16th, 96, which according to Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter was 7,323 fans paid for a gate of $123,406. According to Dave, a little disappointing for uh, what had traditionally been a, a hotbed of a market for WCW going way back. So, Especially yeah. the product was hype, was heating up, partly for all the reasons we talked about. Not just, yeah. you know, the, the football players, but the outsiders. Yeah. Yeah, according to the Observer, quote, a figure which has to be a disappointment considering the amount of hype aimed at the show and that it was in Baltimore, which has traditionally drawn well for major WCW shows. Is this but, is this a no Hogan uh, circumstance here, perhaps. So you could, I mean, I would say it would pay, play some part in it for sure. All right, hold on, because let's see. Because I think this, although it was disappointing, I think it did beat censored and Slamboree. Now Slamboree also did not have Hogan. They did that hideous battle bowl, but uncensored had that awful alliance to end Hulkamania triple decker cage match. It wasn't uh, demonstrably did pretty bigger. well. No, it, this was the second lowest of 96, I believe. Yeah, Slambury did less, 155,000. Uh, oh, un- Bash, 170. Uncensored, Uncensored did 250. Uncensored did 250, woof. Yeah. And Super Bowl did 210. Okay, I, I knew Super Bowl done better. Wow, so that's pretty People crazy. wanted to see the end of Hulkamania, baby. <laughs> Bash at the Beach does better, 250 again. Then they're down a little bit for like Hog Wild and Fall Brawl, but still above what Great American Bash did. I mean, they're hovering a little over 200,000 buys for both of those. And then Starcade 96 is 345,000. So, and compared to Starcade 95, which did 75,000, they have grown their business <laughs> quite a bit by the end of 96. And then um, Meltzer, you know, just to double back to what we we're talking about, the ratings for the next night on nitro just to show this effect he wrote for probably the first time ever word of mouth coming off a pay-per-view did a number on the ratings the 617 nitro drew 3.2 and 3.6 for the respective hours the combined 3.4 rating and 5.9 share as compared with raw doing a 2.3 and 3.8 share in the head-to-head hour because remember nitro was two hours if it had just grown to two hours uh, a couple weeks earlier, Raw was still at one hour. Um, so in the head-to-head hour, only one head-to-head hour, it was WCW's largest margin of victory ever. Wow, did not know that. That's a good fact. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a. It's it's a not a huge house, but it's a it's a hot crowd. You know, right from the start. Baltimore's yeah. always hot, no matter how many yeah. people are in that building. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, during this era, you know, they're running a WCW main event live on TBS. I believe that was on TBS, wasn't it? Yeah, TBS mm-hmm. right before the show. And uh, so they've got, like, pre-show matches on main event. They're building up the pay-per-view for the hour before the show. There were three matches on main event that night. I mean, nothing to really write home about. They had uh, Ted Petty, Rocco Rock taken on uh, from Public Enemy, obviously taken on Jerry Sags of the Nasty Boys in a match that won a minute and 46 seconds. Uh, <laughs> Rock a Rock winning that match. You've got uh, VK Wall Street, that being Mike Rotunda, beating Jim Powers in three minutes and seven seconds. And God! Hacksaw <laughs> Jim Duggan pinning Disco Inferno in two minutes and nine seconds. So not exactly three hot matches to get you excited for buying the pay-per-view although right before they go on the air they send out arn anderson they send out rick flair they've got woman nancy sullivan out there they've got miss elizabeth out there and flair and arn do this promo and there's a, a notable quip from rick flair in front of the live crowd right up there on the stage where he gets on the mic and he says bright lights and he looks over at liz and he says big cities and he looks down her shirt and everyone is like kind of cracking up as he says that i had to look this up on youtube and said it to the guys uh right before we recorded today but you get flair out there to give the final sell for the pay-per-view and then we're off to the races they 1996 do 1996 list is not bad let's just oh, yeah. bottom line that right now pretty much any year i mean to be honest with you and so when the pay-per-view proper opens they have this opening video where we've got like Bobby Heenan, who's the coach for uh, Rick and Arn for their tag team match against Kevin Green and, and Steve McMichael and Randy Savage. They, they're going back and forth with the teams doing these little backstage promos and there's like generic music playing in the background. It's very much like the old Saturday night's main event openings. You've got yeah. uh, Luger and the Giant featured in this as well. And... Then they go out to the arena. Of course, it's the Great American Bash, so they've got to do the presentation of our colors and the national anthem. And out comes uh, the Pitbull, Sergeant Pittman. Bring the uh, the colors out. And then we go to Tony, Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes. They're on commentary. Apparently, according to the Observer, Dusty Rhodes, like they couldn't find him until minutes before they went on the air that night. I want to know what was up with that. But yeah. turns out it didn't matter because I thought this was his finest night on commentary. Yes. He's really good on this show. I mean, it's, sometimes uh, he could take away, but God, he was funny. And we'll get into a lot of the <laughs> different lines throughout the show. Yeah, he's really, really, really good on the show. So, yeah, Tony and Dusty are giving the hard sell on the show. They build up the matches. They talk about Hall and Nash, talking about how they won a war. Uh, they mentioned Dick Murdoch's death. Mm-hmm. Dick Murdoch, you know, former partner of Dusty Rhodes, he had died.